Hello and welcome to the Peachy Books podcast. Today I'm going to be talking about narrative technique in A Christmas Carol. And I'm going to start with this question. How many ghosts are there in the book? Might seem like an obvious question, but the answer's a little tricky. We could say four. Marley's ghost, the spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas present, and the spirit of Christmas yet to come. But as one of Dickens' biographers, Claire Tomlin, pointed out, the spirits aren't really ghosts at all. They're not dead people who've come to life. They're spirits, and that's quite a different thing, as we'll explore in a later podcast. So maybe it's just one ghost, Marley's ghost. But actually, I'm going to argue that there are two ghosts, or potentially two ghosts. The first one is Marley's ghost. But what about this passage, slightly further on in stave two? The curtains of his bed were drawn aside and Scrooge, starting up into a half-recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them. As close to it as I am now to you, and I am standing in the spirit at your elbow. Now who's speaking there? Who's speaking at the end? Who is as close to you as the spirit of Christmas past was? Who is standing in the spirit at your elbow, your being the reader? Well, the answer is the narrator. And so the narrator is in one sense like a ghost, or at least like a spirit. Now, to understand this, we need to look at some of Dickens' other books. In The Old Curiosity Shop, which was written just a few years after A Christmas Carol, for instance, the narrator, and I quote, takes the friendly reader by the hand and springing with him into the air, and cleaving the same at a greater rate than ever Don Cleofas, Leandro, Perez, Zambulo and his familiar travelled through their pleasant region in company, alights with him upon the pavement. Now we might skim over that and think, what, what on earth is going on here? Who is Don Cleofas, Leandro, Perez, Zambulo and his familiar? Dickens is referring to a story by a writer called Alain René Lesage, who wrote a story about a man who accidentally freed a demon called Asmodeus. And in gratitude for being freed, Asmodeus took him across the city, lifting the roofs from various houses so he could see inside. And the story follows them round as they peer into people's houses, into their lives. It's a satirical story. But in a sense, that's exactly what we get in A Christmas Carol. The roofs are lifted off various buildings and we see inside. We see into people's lives as they go on with their everyday lives unsuspecting of our presence, not knowing that Scrooge is there, not knowing that the ghost of Christmas present or Christmas past is there, not knowing that the narrator is there. And of course that's what a narrator does in almost every book. He or she lifts the roof off buildings and lets us see into people's everyday lives. So in that story it's a demon, it's a demon, Asmodeus. But Dickens writes about this again in Dombey and Son, which was written another five years on from the old curiosity shop. And he said there, or the narrator said there, Oh, for a good spirit who would take the housetops off with a more potent and benignant hand than the lame demon in the tale, and show a Christian people what dark shapes issue from amidst their homes to swell the retinue of the destroying angel as he moves forth among them. That's a really interesting sentence. I'll read it again. Oh, for a good spirit who would take the housetops off with a more potent and benignant hand than the lame demon in the tale, i.e. Asmodeus, 
and show a Christian people what dark shapes issue from amidst their homes to swell the retinue of the destroying angel as he moves forth among them. So in other words, what the narrator is after here is not a demon, but a good spirit. And what the good spirit is going to reveal is that the true demons come from people's ordinary homes. When we see people's ordinary deeds, when we see the behaviour of people like Scrooge himself. Now, that was what the narrator wanted in Dombey and Son. But in a sense, Dickens has already given us that narrator, given it to us in A Christmas Carol. The narrator there is like a good spirit, a good spirit who is taking the housetops off and showing what a Christian people, what dark shapes issue from amidst their homes. This good spirit reveals in this Christian tale, in this morality tale, what's going on in places like London, in very ordinary streets with people like Scrooge. So what we've got here is the narrator as a good spirit, maybe not as a ghost. So maybe there really is only one ghost in A Christmas Carol, but maybe there are four spirits and the fourth one is the narrator. Now this is so much more interesting than thinking about the narrator as first person or third person, which is what we usually fall back on. And when students are writing about this in an exam, often they'll say, well, it's a third person narrator. And then they've often got nothing else to say. So they'll say, oh, well, the narrator's omniscient. The narrator knows everything. But usually narrators aren't omniscient, at least not in a very straightforward way. So if you look at the books of Jane Austen, for example, who often has a third person, apparently omniscient narrator, you'll find there are limits to that knowledge that the narrator has. And the limits are often geographical. The narrator knows what's going on in the household very, very well. The narrator sees into the minds of the characters and reports back to us. But the further we get away from the household, the less knowledgeable the narrator becomes. So the narrator is like one of the characters. They know the house very well. They know the community pretty well. And beyond that, the knowledge gets a bit hazy. Now, if I can be permitted a a little diversion here, When I'm talking about my own books, I often want to talk about how they are written, the style, the techniques that I have used. Whereas the questions I tend to get in Q&A sessions, book readings and book launches and that sort of thing, are about the content, partly about the plot or often about the historical background. And that's all really interesting. But actually what authors are often really interested in is the craft. How have they shaped the tale? How have they told the tale? What narrative decisions have they made? And these narrative decisions are absolutely crucial. Do you start with a first-person narrator or a third-person narrator? That is important. But then how does that narrator tell the story? Whose voice does it take on? Whose voices does it take on? Does it change? How does it respond to the story that is being told? And Dickens does this, certainly. Dickens is a great narrator or he inserts great narrators into his books. And Dickens often uses what one critic has called a wandering, observant narrator, much like Dickens himself, who loved to explore and observe. He would just go out for walks in London and see what he could see. He would stop and really look. And so what we get in the novels and in the short stories, like A Christmas Carol, is a narrator who is interested in people's lives, who wanders from place to place and observes what is going on, but really observes closely. Now, another thing that you'll be told if you ever do any creative writing 
is that you should show, not tell. Show, not tell. Publishers and literary agents are saying this all the time. But actually, if you look at Dickens' books, he both shows and tells. This idea that you should show but not tell is very much an idea of the, of the, of the 20th century. So let's have a look at where we see this right at the start of the book. When Dickens is writing about Scrooge, when the narrator tells us about Scrooge, he says this, Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire, secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster, and so on. So he's very much telling us about Scrooge. But of course, later on, he shows us Scrooge as well. He shows us how he responds when people come asking for charity. He shows us how he responds to poor Bob Cratchit, who is freezing in his corner of the office. So Scrooge is shown and he is told about. The narrator shows and tells. And at different parts of the book, we get a different emphasis on the showing or the telling. So if you ever have to write about a particular passage, you might want to look at whether the narrator is showing you what's going on or telling you what's going on. So if we look at right at the end of stave four, for example, as the spirit is about to leave Scrooge, the final spirit is about to leave Scrooge, the Scrooge is talking. And interspersed with those bits of dialogue, you get the narrator's brief comments. The finger was still there. For the first time, the hand appeared to shake. The kind hand trembled. So what he's doing there is he's very much showing, showing us. He's not commenting upon what's happening. The narrator is not trying to moralise about what's going on. He simply describes and we draw our own conclusions. But there are other occasions when things are much less clear. So there's a passage towards the end of stave four, a very mysterious passage towards the end of stave four. It's um, one which is worth reading in full, I think. And the question you've got to ask yourself as you're listening to this is, whose voice are we hearing here? The narrator's? Scrooge's? A combination of the two? Or someone else entirely? Oh, cold, cold, rigid, dreadful death, Set up thine altar here and dress it with such terrors as thou hast at thy command, for this is thy dominion. But of the loved, revered and honoured head, thou canst not turn one hair to thy dread purposes or make one feature odious. It is not that the hand is heavy and will fall down when released. It is not that the heart and pulse are still, but that the hand was open, generous and true. The heart brave, warm and tender, and the pulse a man's. Strike, shadow, strike! and see his good deeds springing from the wounds to sow the world with life immortal. No voice pronounced these words in Scrooge's ears, and yet he heard them when he looked upon the bed. He thought, if this man could be raised up now, what would be his foremost thoughts? Avarice, hard dealing, griping cares, they brought him to a rich end, truly. So the first paragraph there, with this Old Testament voice of cold, cold, rigid, dreadful death is very strange, very mysterious. We're never really very clear about who is speaking there. And the narrator draws our attention to this 
at the start of the next paragraph, no voice pronounced these words in Scrooge's ears, and yet he heard them. So is this his conscience speaking? Is it the spirit's voice lingering in his head? Is it something else entirely, or someone else entirely? And then you get these questions. He thought this. If this man could be raised up now, what would be his foremost thoughts? Avarice, hard healing, griping cares. They have brought him to a rich end truly. And that's all reported speech. So the narrator is taking us right into Scrooge's mind. He is reporting his own thoughts. He is getting closer even than underneath the roof. He's getting underneath the roof of Scrooge's head. So when we're thinking about narrative technique, what we need to be asking ourselves all the time is whose point of view are we getting? And often that will change from page to page, sometimes within a paragraph even. So we've got to be very careful that we don't simplify Dickens' wonderful technique. We can't simply say it's a third person narrator and think that we've done our job. We've got to probe much more closely than that. I think that's enough for today. Thank you very much for listening. This was the Peachy Books podcast. See you next time. Mm -hmm.